Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Our God is indeed highly exalted and worthy of our praise. So let's join our hearts together in prayer and ask that we might give Him the praise of which He is so worthy. Let's pray. Father, from You come our life and our breath and our every moment. We pray that You would enable us to use what You have entrusted to us in order to bring glory and honor to You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand together. Beloved, our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Hear now His greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing praise together to the Lord from number 86. Praise the Lord, ye lands. Number 86.
we confess the Lord together this evening using the words of the Nicene Creed, which you can find on page 4 in the back of your Psalter hymnal. Congregation of our Lord, in whom do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who with from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our psalm selection this evening is Psalm 76. Psalm 76 is a psalm that, that calls out in the midst of man's oppression. But it gives encouragement to God's people by recalling how perfectly He has provided in the past. And by assuring us that God will deliver into the future. So ultimately this is a psalm that that calls the church to recognize how God has delivered the church in the past, whether in the age of Israel or beyond, while looking forward to the end, to the ultimate victory. Notice when we read through here verse 10, this unique phrase that we find here. Surely the wrath of man will praise you. That is hard to understand at first. Until we realize that when God Himself came and dwelt among us, the wrath of man broke forth against him and did its absolute worst. But it was through the midst of man's wrath that the greatest act of praise and of worship ever was manifested. 
in the death and ultimately the resurrection of Christ. So this is a song that, that helps us to remember that our deliverance ultimately comes not through what men do, but contrary to what men do, in the perfect deliverance of Christ. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. All the men of war were unable to use their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. But you... You are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? From the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still when God arose to establish judgment to save all the humble of the earth. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared, who cuts off the spirit of princes, who is to be feared by the kings of the earth. We will certainly see that in our main text for this evening, how he reigns over and bows before him, the greatest kings of the earth. But what a confidence that is for us, who recognizing our weakness, recognizing our smallness, humble ourselves before Him and trust Him. So let's take up this song as our song of confession from number 144, God is known among His people.
Certainly that's a song God's people need today as they experience the wrath of man, but trust in the one who is greater than all men. Um, one prayer concern update. Um, we prayed in part, among others, um, this morning for uh, Geneva Vanderkalk. I was informed after the service that uh, she was taken to be with the Lord on Thursday, and uh, funeral is planned for tomorrow at Cornerstone. I don't know the time, but um, it is planned for tomorrow at Cornerstone URC. So um, pray for Randy and the rest of the family, and uh, praise the Lord for Geneva's expressed faith and the, the confidence that she showed in Him. Let's pray. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, You are indeed the great King of kings and Lord of lords. Though men rattle their sabers and proclaim their might, You are greater than all men, more powerful, more mighty, and Your will is always accomplished. Father, we see that throughout the pages of the Word where You show us how the plans of men are brought to nothing, where Your plan is perfectly fulfilled and kept. We've seen it in our own lives. How we laid our plans and we prepared our way, but You turned the situation, transformed our lives, led us in a place that we never would have guessed that we would go, and yet made it perfect according to Your will and Your way. Lord, help us and Your people in every place to remember that in these tumultuous times when so many tyrants are raising up, when the power of man is used selfishly and wickedly throughout the world where the church oftentimes is persecuted and silenced. Remind Your people that You are greater. And that even the wrath of man ultimately will be unto Your praise. That Christ soon will stand before all the world and cause every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that He is the one whom they must serve. And until that day, Lord, cause Your people to stand firm, looking not at the circumstances of the instant but at the reality that stands over it all. Father, we thank You that You hear our prayers and provide. We thank You for the way in which You watched over Geneva in these past years as she suffered the effects of a stroke and other ailments and as, as she watched the down the downfall of her husband and grieved, grieved the things that she could no longer do. We thank You that You gave her the hope of Christ and confidence in Him to give eternal life. We pray that You would comfort her family and indeed all who grieve. Lord, we pray for Your continued blessing and care for all of those who stand in need this day. 
We pray for Seth and Miriam with their adoption process. Lord, we ask that You would clear the path before them, that You would uh, provide encouragement day by day according to their need. And we pray, Father, for John's grandson, Barrett. We thank You so much for the, the good news we heard this morning about the outcome of his surgery and for the, the hand of care that You have laid upon him. Lord, continue to strengthen and encourage Bethany and Nate and give them confidence in You to watch over and, and prepare, prepare the way before Barrett each day. And Lord, You know the other needs of the congregation. You know the needs before we even recognize them in our own lives. But we know that You are good and that You... You are the one who guides us through the often restless sea of our lives. Father, we see in our world today so much turmoil. And in fact, sometimes it is hard for us to know who to root for. When we see tyrant fighting tyrant, when we see ungod ungodly forces opposed by ungodly forces, and your people stuck in the middle suffering from both sides. And so we rejoice that you're the one who knows hearts. And that you're the one who's mapped out the history of mankind. Causing one empire to rise as another one falls to the wayside. Doing it all in such a way that your kingdom will prosper. And your word will go forth. And, and your elect will be gathered together. Lord, it is for this that we ask. We grieve at the loss of liberty that we have seen in, in the land to our north, in Canada. And the fierce crackdown against those who have pursued liberty. We grieve in our own land many of the tyrannical acts and mandates that have been handed down in recent years. And the growth of power in government, centralized power that tends to corrupt. But there too, Lord, we understand that far too often the freedom that we have been given and the peace that we've been entrusted with, your church has ignored. Failing to use it to advance the kingdom, failing to use it to bring glory and honor to you. And so, Lord, whether you bring us freedom or oppression, whether you provide prosperity or poverty, war or peace, we pray that you would equip your people here in America and abroad in places like Ukraine and China and North Korea, that you would prepare your people to face whatever, whatever you have ordained for them to face with our eyes and our hearts upon You. Trusting You to get us through it. Confident that You are sovereign over it. Proclaiming that You are the great King of kings whom all men are ordained to serve. And whom we will serve. Lord, we ask that You would equip Your people here at Grace. Equip our young members to recognize what an immense gift they've been given. 
to know Your Word, to hear Your Gospel, and to have the opportunity to embrace eternal life, even at such a young age. We pray that You would move them to embrace it and to live a life that gives witness to the work that You're doing to transform them. We pray for our young people and our young adults that You would cause them to delight more in the things of Christ than in the things of the world. Cause them to cherish more deeply that which is eternal than that which is temporal. And Lord, make them to so delight in You and in Your people that the shiny temptations of the world will seem dull and worthless to them. We pray for our single adults that You would give them chaste hearts and self-control and a passion for loving and serving You with all the gifts and opportunities You've provided. And we pray for our married adults that You would give them a delight to serve You together and to serve one another in reflection of Your love. We pray that You would bless the parents in our midst with, with wisdom and discernment, with tenderness and faithfulness to raise up children in a way that shows those children Your love, Your character, Your holiness. We pray for our older saints that they might not grow tired of demonstrating the joy of Your salvation and of discipling those whom You set before them. Lord, bless our office bearers with wisdom and discernment and a passion for serving the church whom You have set them over. Grant that our consistory and our deacons as they each meet this week might discuss and decide the things before them with wisdom and with unity unto the glory of Your name. We pray for the, the delegates who attend classes that they might have safe travel and make wise decisions for the sake of the church. And Lord, we pray that You would that You would strengthen Your church, making it passionate. Not passionate for the things that delight this world, for numerical growth, for the meeting of felt needs, for the, the popularity that so excites the hearts of men. But instead, Lord, we pray that You would cause Your church to delight in holiness. To delight in discipleship. To delight in the privilege of knowing You and worshiping You in the beauty of holiness. When we go from this place tonight, Lord, grant that we might be overwhelmed by the blessing we have received gather together as Your people in Your presence, the body of Christ meeting with the head, that we might go forth eager to tell others who You are and what You've done and how, how wonderful it is to know You. To that end, Lord, bless the proclamation of Your Word 
that it might be faithfully proclaimed and wholeheartedly received. Use it to humble us, to delight us, to transform us by your power at work within us. And Father, we pray that in all of this and in all that you set before us in this coming week, your name might be on our lips and your your honor in our hearts. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to look together to God's Word from Daniel 5, uh, we're going to sing together number 15. This is a rendering of Psalm 10. Uh, It's a confession of, of need. An acknowledgement that sometimes God doesn't seem like He's here. He's active. So the psalmist very honestly calls out, why don't I see your acts? Why don't... But at the same time, he acknowledges that God is faithful. That God is at work. And that we can trust Him. So we're going to sing number 15, stanzas 1, 3 and 4, 11 and 14. 1, 3 and 4, 11 and 14. invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5, where we see the account of one of those wicked who give no thought to God, who have no desire to do God's will or to pursue His glory, but who is brought low by the Lord in His good time of judgment. Chapter 5 
Now understand that time-wise, this jumps ahead quite a while, quite a ways. Uh, between Nebuchadnezzar, who wrote chapter 4, and Belshazzar, about whom chapter 5 is written, there were no less than three other kings. But we read there, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams explain riddles and solve problems, were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they, should, they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve writ problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him its interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he killed and whom he would he kept alive. Whom he would he raised up and whom he would he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly 
He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsim. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Amen. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we find this evening the account of a truly unique party. King Belshazzar, ruler of the great kingdom of Babylon, had assembled his nobles for a feast. Likely, it was a traditional feast of the sort celebrated around the, the new year, a time when dining and drinking continued long into the night, sometimes even to morning light. It was a time of great revelry when all restraint was cast off. But this time there was tension in the air because the army of Cyrus, the Persian, was on the prowl. Cyrus had... really shown himself to be quite a powerhouse in his early encounters with the Babylonian army. And it seemed clear that the city of Babylon was Cyrus's next target. Despite that, however, the party went on. After all, they were in Babylon with its impressive defenses. Historians tell us that the city was surrounded by no less than three walls. The outer one, some 25 feet thick. The one inside that, a good 12 feet thick, and inside that, another one, 22 feet broad. Around that center wall, the Euphrates River had been directed to flow as a great moat, and part of it also flowed under the wall, supplying the city with an unlimited quantity of water. So they feasted. Let Cyrus encamp around the city and let him wait. Because the battle wouldn't begin, they believed, until Belshazzar said it would begin. They had no way in, 
And they had no way of starving them out. Babylon was secure, they believed. Nevertheless, one precaution was taken. Nabonidus, Belshazzar's father, was taken away and hidden in a far reach of the kingdom. See, Nabonidus was the true king at this time. Belshazzar ruled for almost all of his reign as second in command, almost as co-regent, because frankly, Nabonidus had some troubling theological views, and he wasn't all that interested in being king. He would much rather study history and read in solitude. And so he was quite happy to allow his power-hungry son Belshazzar to rule from the throne while he hid in safety protecting the power, they thought, of Babylon. But then as the night drew on with the party rising, as the wine flowed, Belshazzar, literally while in the council of the wine, that is, after the wine had begun to take its effect and his better judgment had departed, Belshazzar called for the golden cups and bowls from the temple at Jerusalem. Now, he may have desired to use this gold and silver finery long before, but he hadn't dared until this night. You see, that one of the problems with serving a multitude of gods, as the people of Babylon did, is you're never quite sure which ones are real and which ones are really powerful. And when you take items that are devoted to one god and you use them lightly, you're pretty sure to offend that god if he's real. And so while Nebuchadnezzar had taken this gold and silver and relieved the temple of Jerusalem of it, no one had ever used it because if this God's real, you don't want to offend him. And Nebuchadnezzar became very convinced that not only was this God real, he was the supreme God. And so the items devoted to him had stayed hidden. But tonight, Belshazzar resolved he would not hold back. He was Belshazzar the Great. He was Babylon's mighty king. And so they brought the vessels. They filled them with wine. They, they distributed them about. And the people drank, honoring the gods of their kings, the false gods of their king, with the vessels devoted to the true king. But the celebration was short-lived. As they drank, the king's cup dropped. Because there where the light shone on the wall, writing in the plaster of the wall was a hand. No arm, no body, no person, just a hand. Writing words, characters that he couldn't decipher. All the king's concern about Cyrus, his sense of guilt, whatever sense of guilt he may have had about using these vessels of the God of Israel, all evaporated. His face drained of color. His mind filled with confusion. His heart raced with panic. What was this on the wall and what was its significance? thing was, no one could read it. He called all the wisest men of his kingdom, all of the advisors who normally had such great answers for him, the yes men and also the contrarians. No one could tell him what it meant. But then the queen showed up. She heard of the commotion. This would have been not... His wife, his wives and concubines were all there. This would have been his mother, Nabonidus' wife, the first lady, as it were. Like her husband, she had a penchant for history. And she shared that 
historical lesson with Belshazzar. She told him about an exile named Daniel, a man who was able to shed light on what was hidden in the dark, a man who had shown the ability, evidently from the gods, to reveal things that were hidden and to interpret things that were confusing. At the direction of the queen, Belshazzar summons Daniel, a gray-haired prophet of probably around 80 years old, explains the situation, tells of the predicament, offers a great reward. And in answer, the prophet speaks. And through him, God, the true God, sends judgment that crashes the party of this proud rebel. And that's our theme. God sends judgment to crash the party of a proud rebel. And it's a judgment that, first of all, is exposed through the king's predecessor. That's the first thing we see here. Daniel's first words, notice, starting in verse 17, show that he is utterly unimpressed with Belshazzar. Belshazzar greets Daniel with flattery. I've heard the wonderful things you have done in the past. And I am offering, I, great Belshazzar, am offering to raise you up to that position of influence and authority that you once had. He expects Daniel to behave like anybody else who comes before the king. To fawn over him. To honor him and, and show deference to him. And to do his will. Well, Daniel, he's been out of the circuit for a while. We don't know how long, by the way. It seems likely he had been out of the inner circle for about two decades or maybe more. Because after Belshazzar, or after Nebuchadnezzar had uh, died, his son was installed on the throne and he was removed forcibly. It seems likely that if Daniel was serving him, he too would have died. But he didn't. Nonetheless, he knew the ways of the court. He knew the way things worked, and he ignored them all. Instead of responding as the king anticipated, he bluntly says, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. You see, Daniel wants it to me very clear to everyone. I'm not seeking to curry favor with the king. I'm not going to say what I'm going to say because I want Belshazzar to be impressed. I'm here serving a different king and I'm going to speak his words faithfully regardless of what Belshazzar does in response. And then he speaks. And what he speaks begins again with a history lesson. It seems clear that Nabonidus, with his penchant for history, uh, really maybe had the right emphasis. Because Daniel starts out with a history lesson. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Now just, just a historical note here. In Hebrew and in Aramaic, which this is written in, the word for father was much more flexible than when we use the word father. The word of could certainly mean your direct father, but it could also mean your grandfather or great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather, any of your male predecessors. It could also mean the individual whose authority or power or position you now hold. So, President Biden, if he was speaking in this language, could call President Lincoln his father. 
And that would be a, an appropriate use of the term. Belshazzar recognized that. He used it to pad his credentials. He's the, the son of the great king Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel picks up on that. He uses that connection to admonish Belshazzar because the message that God is sending speaks of a judgment that had been exposed to Nebuchadnezzar and that Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way. Nebuchadnezzar was nothing if not a vivid object lesson to all the kings that would follow him. Remember what we saw in chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar's own confession. He was great. He was king not only over Babylon the city, but over Babylon the great empire that had conquered one after another after another great kingdom. And yet when he became full of himself, when he became overwhelmed by his own pride, God drove him insane. Made him believe that he was just a beast of the field. Such that he was driven out from before men, lived out in the field where the dew fell upon him, where he ate grass like an ox, and there he stayed. Acting like an animal, driven out from before men until he recognized that God is the one who's on the throne, that God gives his, his kingdom and his authority and his power to whom he will, and he's able to take it back to those who don't acknowledge his authority. Daniel recounts that story of Nebuchadnezzar's humbly, emphasizing that, that with the throne of the great kingdom come gifts from this God and the inherent responsibility of confessing who's truly in control. It was because of proud rebellion against the true king that Nebuchadnezzar was, was cursed. And now Belshazzar sits on that throne. Just as Nebuchadnezzar had been warned, so Belshazzar had been warned. Not by a prophet, but by Nebuchadnezzar himself, by his history, by his experience. Belshazzar had no reason for standing proudly before the, the true God. However, knowing that, Belshazzar rebelled anyway. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, he exalted himself before men. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, he regarded himself as worthy of more glory than the true God. But unlike Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar had been warned. He had the example of Nebuchadnezzar before him and he ignored it. Now brothers and sisters, it's wise that we stop there a minute and, and just ponder that. Because like Belshazzar of old, we have seen how powerfully God is able to humble those who are proud. I mean, we see it all the time. Just read the news, right? How many a proud politician has risen to the apex of his career only to be humbled and shamed by acts done in proud folly? How many of the stars, how many of the, the idols of our culture have fallen with sudden and dramatic flair. Because they were so proud, they thought that the rules that apply to regular people don't apply to them. Right? God's Word is full of examples of that. I mean, Adam was given every privilege, every possibility that mankind could ever know. But proudly, he exalted himself against the God of heaven. And he was brought low unto the dust. David, the great king chosen by God, established in his throne by the hand of God, 
And yet when he became too full of himself, he began taking that which did not belong to him, abusing those entrusted to him. God brought him low, didn't he? Humbled him. And the examples could be multiplied, right? Pharaoh, many of the kings of Israel and of Judah, Judas, Peter. We see that, and those each one of those is a lesson for us. Don't stand before God in your pride. Humble yourself, acknowledge Him, serve Him alone. It strikes close to home for us. We've seen as a church, right? We've seen what happens to churches that, that scorn God's Word. How they make themselves irrelevant by latching onto the lies of the world and how God then curses those churches because they thought more of themselves than of God's Word because they sought to glorify themselves rather than glorifying God. And we're tempted to look at them and say, oh, how foolish. But then we look to our own number. And do we not in our own federation have professors and preachers who deny the historicity of Scripture when it comes to to that which would be embarrassing in the sight of the world like the creation in six days? Do we not have professors and preachers who seek to silence the Word of God where it would be inconvenient, like out in the secular world, out in, you know, in the places where it actually would be visible? We speak of the importance of Christian education, but then our Christian schools embrace the lies of evolutionary science and our seminary professors compromise when it comes to the Sabbath or to sexual ethics. So we dare not stand proudly before God. The shame of our predecessors reminds us that God is watching. If we live as though He, he was blind, we will follow our forefathers into shame. God will hold us accountable, just as He held Belshazzar accountable for learning the lessons of our fathers. So we need to recognize what Belshazzar refused to see. That everything we have, everything we are is from God. And the God who gave it all calls us to use it humbly in service to Him. Acknowledging our faults and our failures. Repenting when we turn aside. And if we don't, if we pretend that we're greater, that we're above, that we're somehow inherently worthy, He will take it all from us. We need to learn those lessons of our forefathers. Of course, Belshazzar had not. We see that from his actions. So Daniel continues by showing that, that God would send judgment against him. And this judgment would be a judgment earned by his pride. That's the second thing we see. What was Belshazzar's rebellion? Daniel lays it out very clearly in verse 23. He says, You have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. It's interesting that the verb here is, is used in a reflexive sense. In other words, it's something that he brought upon himself. He couldn't blame anyone else for bringing God's wrath against him. Belshazzar did it to himself. He had no one else to blame. And this rebellion was manifested in his shameless sin at the feast. You've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. Now that might not sound like such a big deal, but it was. Remember, these vessels had been devoted to the worship of the holy God, the one true God, in the temple, when they were dedicated to the Lord. 
They were only to be used by the Levites, many of them only by the priests, and then only in the way and at the time that God had ordained, that God had commanded. And to ignore that, to treat as common what was devoted to God, is deeply offensive to the Lord. It's the kind of, it's the kind of wicked, pride-filled sin that led God to destroy Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, when they decided that they would invent their own worship. They would, they would come before God the way they wanted to come before Him. It was the lack of reverence for God's holiness that led him to strike dead Uzzah. When Uzzah was foolishly hauling the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart, which God never commanded, and reached out to grab hold of it when the oxen stumbled as though it was just a piece of luggage. The Apostle Paul said that those who treat as common the Lord's Supper, God would strike with sickness or even death. That's what God does when people treat as common that which has been devoted to Him. So God could not ignore Belshazzar's deed because it showed contempt for His holiness. It showed contempt for Him. And Belshazzar compounded that sin by using what was devoted to God in order to serve that which is not a God. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. Even while drinking from cups that were dedicated to the true and living God, he was serving and glorifying gods that were a figment of his imagination. Dare we call that anything other than proud rebellion against God? And while he committed all these sins, Belshazzar left undone the one thing that counted. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. You put it that way, and the weight of Belshazzar's crime is palpable. The Lord our God held Belshazzar's life in his hand. Every breath that his lungs drew, every calorie that his body burned to survive, Every disease that he did not contract, every insurgent who in vain longed to kill him, all of it was in his hand along with all that Belshazzar did. His waking and his sleeping, his choosing and his refusing, God was sovereign over all of it. We're reminded in Proverbs 16 verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. When we consider how completely indebted Belshazzar was to this God. The fact that he not only ignored him, but used what was, was devoted to him to serve gods that don't exist. We can see where he was worthy of judgment. But that, my friends, is where we need to be stopped cold. Because we understand how just it was for God to judge Belshazzar. Are we worthy of that judgment? Are not our lives, just as His, entirely in the hand of the true and living God? I mean, we pray, give us this day our daily bread, acknowledging that every single day, every single need comes from Him, and it must, or we are without hope. We pray, lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil, acknowledging that every step is guided by Him. 
Every detail of life is in His hand. We are completely in the hand of God, body and soul, every moment of every day. So surely, knowing that, we don't rebel against God the way Belshazzar did, right? But what was Belshazzar's sin again? Was it, it was proud rebellion against God, yes, but, but manifested in a disdain for that which was holy unto the Lord. Do we ever treat that which is holy as common? Do we ever scorn that which, which, which should be treated with reverence? about the Lord's Supper? Do you ever physically partake of the bread which demonstrates and represents the broken body of our Savior while letting your mind wander to the common concerns of life? Do you ever drink of that wine that is to be received by us as the blood of Christ while Daydreaming? How about the sacred worship of God? When entering into the, the communion of the saints in the very presence of God and His holy angels, do you ever doodle while your mind is wandering? Snicker at jokes with one another? Daydream about some matter that is common? What about this sacred day that God has called us to set apart? Just one out of seven that is to be devoted to Him. Do you ever fill that day with things that are common? Allow lesser things to consume your attention on that day? Or God's holy word? Have you faced the temptation to compromise or at the very least to not acknowledge the truth of that word so as not to be scorned by unbelievers? Brothers and sisters, as God's people, we must regard all of life as holy. And yet, instead, we, like Belshazzar, are often tempted to treat as common that which is holy and devoted to the Lord. We're tempted to sacrifice everything in order to satisfy the gods of gold and silver. Tempted to compromise, just, just gain the wax god of popularity which melts as soon as one touches it. If we evaluate our hearts honestly, brothers and sisters, every one of us deserves the judgment that was due Belshazzar. And so we, we must be warned because his judgment could easily be our judgment. Indeed, Belshazzar's judgment should fall on us and will unless someone else takes it for us. Because we're guilty of that rebellion. And the only way we can escape is if Christ died to pay the debt for us. That's the only way we can escape it. If we hide in Christ, if we take shelter in Him, if He endured the wrath of God that we deserved, only then can we escape this judgment that was earned by our pride. Otherwise, the sentence spoken concerning Belshazzar will be inscribed concerning us. And it's that to which Daniel's declaration unfailingly leads. All of it climaxes with Daniel's declaration of the essence of the sentence that is written on the plaster of the wall before Belshazzar's eye. In that interpretation, we find a judgment ensured by God's power. That's the last thing we see here. Now just to clarify, 
what we read here in verses 25 through 28 leaves a lot of stuff unexplained. The four words we read here, mene, mene, tekel uparsin. They're common words in ancient Aramaic. They have common meanings. Like most Aramaic words, they have a, a variety of meanings as nouns, and they could also be used as verbs, which lends to them having a double meaning, a prophetic meaning. But all in all, they're fairly normal. So that must mean that they were either written in mysterious characters that no one but Daniel was given the power to read, to interpret, or the king's eyes and those of his counselors were clouded so that they couldn't understand what was plain in front of them. In any case, only Daniel is given the power to interpret them. And what is, what is that interpretation? Mene. The Hebrew of that word would be mina. It's a unit of weight, roughly a pound and a half. Used in verb form, it means counting or numbering. And Daniel, Daniel interprets, God has counted, God has numbered your days and brought them to an end. That's written twice to indicate that it's assuredly so. It's going to come to pass. God has written it in plaster, as it were. Then, tekel. The Hebrew word is shekel. It's another unit of weight, much smaller, about a third of an ounce. Again, used in verb form, it can mean weighing. Daniel explains Belshazzar has been weighed in the scales and found to be a lightweight, found to be wanting. Kids, uh, picture the picture of Lady, uh, Lady Justice. You've seen that statue of Justice depicted as a woman in flowing robes, holding in one hand the sword of Justice, in the other hand a scale. She's blindfolded so that she can't influence unduly the judgment. And that scale indicates that sin will be weighed. Disobedience will be weighed. And Daniel's saying, Belshazzar, your sins have been weighed against your righteousness and you have been found a lightweight, unable to balance out the wickedness that you've done in your proud rebellion against God. And then the last word, Farsin, the plural of which is Paris can either mean half or, interestingly, Persia. In verb form, it means to break or to divide. And Daniel, guided by God, interprets Belshazzar's kingdom. Belshazzar, having been weighed and found wanting, his kingdom has been divided and given over to Persia and the Medes. Now take all of that together and we find a terrifying declaration of God's judgment on Belshazzar. Not only, not only does God have power over Belshazzar's reign, but God has declared that Belshazzar's reign is at an end. The great king in heaven has seen all of the king's sins. And he's determined that his reign will come to an end. Belshazzar will pay. He will pay with his kingdom. He will pay with all the power that has given him such pride. He will pay with his very life this very day. Now Belshazzar may have been shaken by Daniel's words. Or he may have shrugged and determined that Daniel was a crackpot. We don't know. 
We don't know his heart. We don't know what he was thinking. We do know two things. One, that his response should have been to humbly fall to his knees and implore God's forgiveness. He should have done what David did when Nathan confronted him, told him a parable that depicted David's own sin, and then when David condemned it, said, you are the man. And David fell to his knees and, and pleaded for forgiveness. That's what Belshazzar should have done, but he didn't. Instead, he did what a king does. I made a promise. I'm going to keep that promise in front of my nobles. I said that I would clothe you with a purple robe and put a gold chain around your neck and make you the third ruler of the kingdom, which, by the way, is the most that Belshazzar could do since he was number two. And that's what he did. But that very night was his last. Historians tell us that the defenses in which Babylon took such great comfort were its downfall. The walls were imposing. They kept many an enemy at bay. But the Medes and the Persians were fairly crafty. They saw that river flowing under, that river in which the Babylonians took great comfort. It's a moat that can't be crossed and it also supplies us with fresh water. And they said, yeah, but it goes under the, under the walls. And so while Belshazzar was feasting, the Persians were upstream completing a dam that would divert the flow of the Euphrates River. And as soon as that flow was diverted and the water subsided, the openings under the walls became evident. And with almost no opposition, the army of the, the Medes and the Persians walked right in and took the city. How Daniel survived, we're not told. He was clothed in purple. He had just been promoted to third in the kingdom. He should have died, but God not only prevented it, we'll see that God also established him as a power in Persia. But Belshazzar did not enjoy the same deference. Belshazzar met his end and entered into the true judgment of God. Beloved, we need to take careful heed to this account because it sets before us a warning. Pride lurks in the heart of every single one of us. And pride ultimately seeks to displace God from His throne so that we can sit there ourselves. Pride takes that which is holy and devoted to God and says, no, I'll take that for myself, thank you very much. Pride is what every one of our children is inclined to from their first moment. And pride is what we must repent of. Acknowledging that we deserve God's wrath and confessing that Christ alone can free us from that wrath. But if we do, if we call out to Him, and we put our hope in Him, not only will He humble us, not only will He teach us to put God first and to, to use all that God has entrusted us for His glory, but He will deliver us. And He will give us eternal life and the assurance of eternal life. And more than that, He will enable us to reign on thrones beside Christ. Revelation 20, even now. And... Throughout eternity, we will exercise dominion at His right hand. But only if we humble ourselves, only if we repent of our pride, only if we take refuge in Christ. May that 
be our response. May that be our joy. And may God through us be glorified. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and we praise You for this reminder that confronts us with our pride, with our sin, with our rebellion. May it lead us to humble ourselves before You and to acknowledge that You alone deserve all the glory. And Lord, may You create within each one of us the faith by which alone we are able to escape the wrath we are due and become Your sons and daughters. Through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. The day that Belshazzar experienced is coming for each one of us. When we will stand before the throne of Christ and give answer. Why should I forgive you? Why should I let the likes of you into my glorious kingdom? And there's only one answer that will suffice. Kids, hear that. The only answer is not, I think I did pretty well in comparison with all those folks. And it's not, you know, I did my best. The only answer that will suffice is, I trusted in Christ. So let's acknowledge that as we stand and sing together. Number 370, Day of Judgment, Day of Wonders. Number 370.
Our offering this evening is for the Christian Education Fund. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have blessed us so abundantly and provided so perfectly for us. We thank you for the many children whom you have entrusted to us and the calling and the privilege of raising them up to know you by teaching them in the light of your word. May our offering this evening support that goal and that calling. And may our children learn to delight in you and in your truth. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our offering song this evening is number 269. Number 269.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the presence of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.